I don't know if you heard Evan, but he just said, there you go, top that. <laughs> I probably won't. I love this as an intro to, to what we're doing here in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, we've talked a lot this year about how uh, it's important for us to, to be a family that is functioning as a family, a faith family uh, that we are constantly, uh, we don't outsource the raising of our kids and their spiritual lives to anyone else, that we as a family are committed to do that uh, in our homes, and we're committed to doing that in our church. Uh, the next two weeks, uh, we are going to be sending a lot of our church to camp. Uh, today, we've got a group going, I'm, I'm among them. Uh, I think we've got 30 or so uh, of our members, over 10% of our church will be spending this week at, North, at Camp Rock Creek down in Norman. So we're getting ready to go all the way down to Norman and have a great week at camp. It's our third through eighth grade session. Uh, we've got some high schoolers that are going to be JCs, a couple uh, people that will be out there, adults helping throughout the week, and we're excited. Uh, our theme at camp this year is Upside Down Kingdom. Upside Down Kingdom. Uh, I love the passage that Kevin mentioned earlier uh, in the book of Acts where they go to Jason's house. And they accuse him and the other Christians of being guilty of turning the whole world upside down. Everywhere these Christians go, they just mess with the way things used to be and ought to be. Uh, they turn it upside down. And our classes this week are all going to be coming out of the Sermon on the Mount. The sermon where Jesus, in Matthew 5-7, through 7, stands up before this crowd that's beginning to wonder and, and to, to inquire if this guy is who he appears to be. If he is the Messiah that we've been waiting for, if he is the king who we've been promised and praying for, then what kind of kingdom is it going to be? And Jesus starts this sermon uh, on the mount, and he gives it. It's one of the longest sermons in the New Testament. And he gives this three-chapter sermon, and it's filled with incredible, powerful teachings. And we're going to get into that here in a minute. Um, but as we talk about why it is that it's so important for us to connect uh, parents and kids, that parents are involved in passing faith to their kids. Uh, the next two weeks, I'm going to preach on the camp themes. So this week, I'm preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, since we're going to be doing that at camp with all of our kids. Uh, next week, I'm going to be preaching on the Soul Quest theme. They will have already left by the time I'm preaching. Is that right? You guys will already be on your way. So they won't even be here because they're on their way up to Soul Quest in York, Nebraska. But we're going to talk about it. And the reason we're going to talk about it is I believe that it's essential that this church is integrating what our kids are doing, the direction that they're going spiritually in their learning, in their study, in their praying, and that we're as a church family doing those things together. So that if you have an opportunity when the campers come back, you can ask them, what did you learn about the Sermon on the Mount? When you see uh, one of our high schoolers in two weeks, you're going to ask them, what did you learn about God's limitless love, forgiveness, and grace? What does that mean for you? We're going to talk about limitless next week, which is their theme up in SoulQuest. Uh, but there's one other thing that we're going to be doing here all summer on Wednesday nights. And I want to just tell you about it real quick because it's different. And so I want you to get a feel for what it is. Uh, on Wednesday nights over in the fellowship area, we're going to have a different kind of Bible class. Uh, we're calling it Faith at Home Church Edition. 
So this year, we're calling you at home to be having more intentional conversations about faith, scripture, about your own faith story with your kids, telling them God's story and your story so that it can become their story. Uh, One of the things that we want to do is not just tell you, you ought to be doing this. We did a workshop that says, here's ideas for how to do this. We want to actually come together and practice doing it together. So Faith at Home Church Edition. Uh, What it's going to look like on Wednesday nights, you're going to walk over the fellowship area and a team of volunteers that have yet to sign up to do this, and so this is also a recruiting push, Uh, a group of volunteers, a different team each week, will go and buy the supplies and set it up, and so you may walk in and there may be a set of tables with Legos that say, uh, Jesus is... Uh, the new temple where we encounter God. And so build something that makes you think about what Jesus looks like is the place we experience God. And as a family, you're going to go build things with Legos and talk about Jesus and talk about the temple and talk about faith and share that. There's not a teacher. The families provide the content. There's going to be some Wednesdays where the children are going to be sharing things that are going to bless the parents and the parents will say things to bless the kids. But let's, let's come together. Uh, you don't have to have kids to participate because if there's kids that are at this church, they're your kids too. So if you just want to come and be a part of that class, we're going to practice sharing faith, different centers and activities. You can freely rotate around and just have opportunities to share faith with families. Uh, be sure, if you're interested in helping to set up one of those Wednesdays, uh, see Laura and let her know. She's doing the first one, so she'll show you how it's done, and you just follow her lead, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really good blessing for our families. Um, But I want to talk now about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount uh, has often been taught as being about inward transformation and heart stuff, and not about outward obedience. Uh, That it's focused on uh, the idea of, one of the passages says, Uh, You've heard it said not to murder, but I tell you, don't even be angry or call someone a fool. And so the idea is that the big laws and the big rules and the big areas of obedience are what what used to matter, but now what Jesus wants is just inner transformation. He just wants you to get your heart right and your feelings right and your mind right, uh, and don't worry about the actions, that it's all about the inside stuff. But I think that... This simplification of what Jesus is saying runs into some pretty big problems at the end of the sermon. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has four different kind of word pictures that he's going to give us. These four different pictures that talk about how what Christian living is all about. He says, if you want to be part of the kingdom that I'm calling you to be a part of, this is what it's going to look like. And he gives these four pictures, and I want you to listen to how Jesus describes the people that are part of his kingdom at the end of the sermon. And once we've looked at the end of it, I think it'll unlock what's going on before it. Starting in verse chapter 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We always talk about Jesus' love and inclusion, about how he's filled with welcome and he's inviting people in. But don't be tricked. 
Jesus says. This isn't an obvious way. It's not a natural way. If you live your life without giving any thought to what you're doing or who you're following, you will not stumble through the narrow gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. If you're just going to follow the crowd and follow your heart and just kind of do whatever it is that's in front of you, what you're going to do is just follow your feet through the broad gate, the big one, the easy one, the default setting. He says, what I'm calling you to is to intentionally, purposefully live differently than other people, but you don't do it on accident. It's done with purpose and intentionality. So choose to enter through the narrow gate. Choose to go towards the narrow road. Choose the small way, because only a few will find it. He says, look, this isn't just... The crowd that's gathered there has come there and they're just wondering, do we just keep living our life normally and you'll just deliver us as the Messiah? And Jesus says, no, the kingdom that I am calling you to is a kingdom that you must choose to live according to the kind of people that are called to be in it. There's standards for this kingdom. Well, Jesus, what does that mean? What does that look like? And he keeps going then. And he says, well, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus says, look, there's going to be some Christians that are going to come to you dressed like they're a good Jesus-following person. And they're going to come and they're going to put on the, the airs and the appearances of being one of mine, one of God's, one of the people that you should listen to. And you cannot believe them because while they are outwardly looking the way they ought to, they're inwardly ferocious. And so as Jesus begins to describe what it looks like to be on the narrow road through the small gate, the first thing he says is it's not enough for you to look good on the outside and be rotten and ferocious on the inside. That's not the way of the kingdom. It's not about appearances. It's not about your clothing. You can't put on an I Love Jesus t-shirt and automatically become a good Christian. And he says, but here's how you'll know whether they're just doing it for their own benefit or whether they're really doing it for the kingdom, is you have to look at their fruit. You have to look at their fruit. And he uses this, this word picture, this image of a tree, and Jesus says, here's what you need to know, that a tree can only produce the kind of fruit according to the tree that it is. A fig tree doesn't, or figs don't grow on thorn bushes. Thorns do. Figs grow on, on fig trees. My brother's kind of confusing me with this lately. Um, I don't know, you guys remember Kirk. Uh, Kirk has started purchasing trees off the internet where they take one tree and they take branches off other trees and graft them on, he's going to have one tree growing four different kinds of apples, but it doesn't change Jesus' teaching, okay? 
apples are getting weird, but trees still do what trees do unless we mess with them and do weird genetic experiments on them, which is, of course, what my brother would do. But what Jesus is saying is the tree is your inward life. The tree is your heart. It's your mind. It's your soul. It's what, what is really in you. It's your, your truest self. And then Jesus says the fruit is the stuff that you produce in your life. It's the outward stuff that can be observed and that can be seen. It's the result of your inward stuff becoming completely enmeshed with your physical stuff so that your whole being becomes consistent. Your inward and your outward are, are completely integrated and completely good. And he says, what happens if your tree is unhealthy and ferocious and selfish on the inside, you will ultimately produce unhealthy fruit. You will start to look greedy. It will become clear that you're after your own ambitions and not the well-being of others or the, the kingdom of God. The tree is shown by its fruit. And so the teaching very quickly when you're looking at who's on the narrow path and who's on the broad path becomes this, that Jesus wants fully integrated humans who are transformed on the inside and it changes their outside. Fully integrated people. Pure from the inside out. Uh, we're going to camp today, so you know maybe at some point this week we'll sing the song, uh, was it... I'm, in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. We start with the in right, move to the out right. The tree leads to the fruit. But Jesus keeps going because it starts to sound like uh, bad people, even who claim to look like Jesus and be a follower of Jesus, might, if they bear bad fruit, be worthy of the fire. And we ask Jesus, is that what you're saying? And he clarifies it by saying this in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me you evildoers. This is a tough teaching. This is, a, this is one of the scarier verses to me uh, in all of the red letter verses of the New Testament where Jesus says, there are some who will say, Jesus, did we not call on your name? Were we not involved in your ministries? Were we not doing all kinds of activity and ministry and, and going out and doing all kinds of the stuff that we thought you would want us to do? We put on the show, we went to church, we, we did the Sunday stuff. And Jesus says, if you do all of that stuff, but you do not do the will of my Father in heaven, this kingdom's not yours. This kingdom's not yours. Jesus is saying that the kingdom that he's calling people to requires intentional commitment, with purpose. 
And then he ends with this, this teaching, and we sang the song with the kids before we got up there. Here's the end of it. And I think sometimes we miss the most important detail in this, uh, this final teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's closing with these warnings. He's closing with these challenges. Don't take this lightly. You could be lost for this. And then he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, we've learned it since we were kids, and so we miss the details, and we just kind of walk over and skim over what's important here. This isn't a children's song. This is the concluding illustration of Jesus's magnum opus. This is his huge Sermon on the Mount, and he ends it with this. Anyone who hears these words of mine, you start by hearing his teachings. For us, that means reading his words in Scripture. You hear his words, and then you put them into practice. Then you become a wise person who builds his house on a rock. There's other passages that talk about how you need Jesus to be the foundation in your life, that Jesus is the cornerstone that the whole house and building is built up from. But this one is not talking about faith. This one is not talking about belief in Jesus. It's not talking about Jesus being the foundation. The foundation we're building on is our taking inward transformation and then living it out. It's putting the teachings into practice. And when you put the teachings into practice, when you follow Jesus' instructions that he's been giving all through this sermon and all through his ministry, and that we get all through Scripture, when you do it, you don't just think it, you don't just study it, you don't just believe it, you do the things that Jesus has told you to do, that the living out of those instructions is what prepares you for verse 25, when the rain comes down, the streams rose the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand the rain came down the streams rose the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash Jesus says, says this, if you're willing to not only hear my words, not only believe my words, but your life gets changed because you start putting them into practice, not just listening on Sunday, but doing it on Monday, but sharing it with others on Wednesday, but being changed and transformed so that on Friday someone looks at you and says, man, there's something about you that's different and you say, of course I'm different. I live on the outside differently because of what Jesus is doing on the inside through his spirit because of, of what God has called me to do. I'm putting the teachings of Jesus into practice and it's changed me. That living that life prepares you for the storms. So that when you lose your job and you're not sure where your next paycheck is going to come from, you'll be ready for it because you've been putting the teachings of Jesus into practice. So that when you go to the Sermon on the Mount and it talks about don't worry about where your clothes and your food's going to come from, God's going to take care of you. If you've been putting that into practice, your foundation can handle, and the building that's built on it can handle, a nasty storm. 
When someone comes and does harm to your family, does something that you wish they wouldn't have done, and you've been putting into practice that you don't only not commit murder, which I think you should, by the way, not commit murder, but you've been putting into practice not getting angry. When that storm comes and someone does harm to you or your family, you can weather that storm because you've been putting the teachings of Jesus into practice and have a foundation that's capable of withstanding the tough stuff in life. If your commitment to Jesus is only internal and doesn't affect the outside of your life, if you can go to church on Sunday and receive it, but you go the rest of your week without living it out, then you're missing it. You're not on the narrow path. And if you go about your life living it out, just going through the motions, you're putting on the clothes and you're doing the things that, you're, you're saying the things that Christians ought to say, but you're not being transformed internally, you've missed it. That's not the way that kingdom people do it. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers. This sermon calls for totally transformed, fully integrated people, beginning on the inside, making its way to the outside so that you can be able to withstand all of life's storms. So what does it look like? Now we'll go back and look at a couple of the details of the sermon. If you go back more towards the beginning in Matthew chapter 5 uh, and verse 21, he says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, or, or is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So what does inright, outright, upside down kingdom living look like when it comes to anger and relationships? Here's what it looks like. Jesus says, look, you've heard it said before, don't murder. I'm telling you, control your temper. Don't even get mad at people. Don't even be mean to people. But he doesn't stop there. That is where we usually stop. He keeps the teaching going. He recognizes that times are going to come where you're going to hurt your brother or sister. Times are going to come where you're going to wrong someone. You're going to be mean to someone, and you're going to need to work it out. And Jesus says, any time that you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave it. Now this is at the altar of God. You go to offer him a sacrifice, and on the way to offer God a sacrifice, you realize, man, I've got some relationship problems at home. I've got some relationship problems at work. Paul later is, I think, going to take this idea in Corinthians and build it into his uh, kind of thinking about what's going on at communion. And say, so when you take communion, you better get your relationships right before you eat the bread and drink the fruit of the vine. 
And if you don't, maybe you need to leave it there for a minute, go work out your relationships, come back and then take communion. The, the, what Jesus is saying is, here's why this teaching matters. Yes, don't murder, but I'm saying don't be a, a jerk. For, don't be a jerk. Don't be mean. Don't be uh, breaking relationships. And when you do, go work as hard as you have to to fix them. I don't know. They haven't said sorry yet. No, go fix it. Jesus, they deserved it. Go fix it. Jesus, is it really that important? Yes. Does it have to be now? It is more important than your sacrifice that you're offering to God. Leave that alone. Go fix your relationship. Then get back to church and do what you're supposed to be doing at church. He's placing this relationship as high of a priority as an act of worship in the assembly. That's important stuff. Inside transformation lived out, turning people and kingdoms upside down. Verse 33, there's another teaching where he says, Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the, the evil one. Kids do all kinds of funny things. Uh, to convince you they're not lying. And they do that because they lie a lot. Um, you remember, I cross my heart, you know, make a promise, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You ever say that when you were a kid? Or you hear kids say that? Um, they say that because yesterday when they told their friends something, they had their fingers crossed behind their back, which means that you can tell a lie and not be responsible for it. I don't know if you know this, um, I don't think it works in marriage. It hasn't for me. I'm still, the crossing your fingers thing doesn't, never got me out of jail. Um, you have the pinky promise, which you put someone's pinky, you lock pinkies, and you say, you pinky promise, I pinky promise. Uh, they've added, my kids do a thing where they pinky promise and bite their thumbs. I think that adds to the emphasis. I don't know why, but it's what they do. Uh, all of these things. And the reason that you have to do that is because the person that you're speaking to doesn't trust your integrity. You have to use oaths. And the oaths are such that, that you're making them over things that aren't yours to give anyway is part of Jesus' point. You want to make an oath on, on your head? It's not your head. You can't control that. Don't say things that don't make sense. Jesus wants his people to be so fully integrated, fully pure and, and holy from the inside out, that their word, their yes, and their no are good enough without uh, tons of oaths on top of it. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? 
Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We, we still struggle with this. We struggle with all of these today. And we skim over them because we're too familiar with them. But we need to recapture the challenge of these passages. Jesus says, do you love the people who love you back? Congratulations, you're human. Everybody does that. Do you greet the people who are part of your friend group? Congratulations, that's what all humans do. You have graduated to the level of, of human. I'm calling you to something different. I'm calling you to not only love people who love you, and not just to love people who are indifferent to you and they maybe are your acquaintances. I want you to love people who want bad things to happen to you. That's the limit of the love that I want you to show. That kind of love, when it takes hold of your, your insights and starts getting lived out in the world, starts turning the kingdom of God upside down and making people say, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem right. These people are doing things so differently, it challenges the way I think the world ought to be operating. And I'm uncomfortable about it. They're welcoming in the unwelcome. They're loving people across social economic and language and all kinds of other barriers. They're bringing in people that they should be treating badly and they're treating them with love and hospitality and kindness. They don't pay any attention to race or ethnicity or nationality. They're this multi-ethnic, multi-economic family and they're loving each other and the world won't understand it. Don't just love the people you already love better. Love the people you don't love more. That's what's radical in the Sermon on the Mount. Not only should you love those you love better, you should love different people differently. So what's the goal? What does Jesus have in mind if Christians are able to actually start doing this? And we don't have time to go through the whole sermon. Uh, I mean, it, we do this week at camp, so we more to come uh, for those of you going to camp. But what's the goal? What does Jesus envision this kingdom looking like? And at the beginning of the sermon, he gives the Beatitudes, and he talks about salt, and then he says this about light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, the Jesus vision that's in the Sermon on the Mount is that we will become inwardly transformed that it will then have such outward visible consequences in our lives that it'll be like a shining lighthouse on a hill that everyone else looks at and says, I give glory to God because of the outward actions and characteristics and life of that person that I'm now going to seek and try and pursue that in my life. That it's contagious that it sets fire to the whole world, that it turns the world upside down because we've been inwardly transformed to outwardly living out the teachings of Jesus in a way that weathers storms and changes the world. That's the Sermon on the Mount. This week, we're going to be challenging our kids to be thinking about what that looks like in their lives and in your houses and in this church. 
This week, I want to ask that you would be praying for all of our campers, that they be thinking about what it looks like for them to put the teachings of Jesus into practice. And what I would challenge you to do this week, if you didn't uh, read the Sermon on the Mount this last week in preparation for this lesson, go read it this week and find one thing that, you're, have, that you have room for improvement, either on the inside or the outside. Maybe there's something you've been doing by going through the motions of doing, which is where you act like you've forgiven someone and you don't call them fool to their face, but you say it every time you walk by in your mind. Maybe go sort that out. Find an area of your life that needs improvement and give it to God and start putting into practice these teachings of Jesus. Don't wait till the storm comes. Don't wait until it's time to walk through one of the gates. Don't wait until it's too late to produce the kind of fruit that God has planted in you through His Spirit. Start doing little things this week to put the teachings of Jesus into practice, letting the Spirit transform you on the inside so that you start living out faith and Christ-like living and obedience to God on the outside. If you today have a need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that produces this kind of a kingdom and makes Jesus your king, please do it this morning as we stand and sing. Make me new, Lord Jesus. Make